Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. What's up, Light Church? It's so great to be with you this morning. I have the privilege of joining you in your parable series. My name is Justice. I'm the lead pastor of Freedom Church up in Los Angeles. And uh, if we haven't met before, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Luke chapter 15 is where I'm going to teach from today if you want to turn there in your copy of the scriptures. You're in a parable series. And when Pastor Benji told me that, I said, can I call dibs on the prodigal son? Can I teach the prodigal son? I love that message so much. Jesus made it up. And we have a series title for you today called The Prodigal Church, because I believe that God is doing something in all of his sons and his daughters, both at Freedom Church and at Light Church and around the world. And it's a season where God is bringing people home to him. And so that's what this message is about. Jesus tells a story of two sons, a younger son and an older son. And that's what I believe that God wants me to focus on today as I teach you in Luke chapter 15. Now, when I read this story, the prodigal son that Jesus made up, remember he told two stories right before that. And so when you read Luke 15, it's important that you read the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin before we go into the parable of the lost sons because Jesus's original message, he would have done it in that order. That, that, that teaching style would have been to reinforce this third parable of the lost son. So let's read all three together. Jesus is talking in Luke 15 too. It says, notorious sinners and Pharisees. So religious leaders, we got goody two shoes and we got, you know, notorious, infamous, you know, sinners. So we got the, we got the good and we got the hood right there in Jesus's audience. And it says that Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? I kind of feel like that's a rhetorical question, but at the same time, everybody who heard him say that would have been like, no, that's not what he would do. A shepherd wouldn't leave 99 in the wilderness to go find one lost sheep. That would mean that you're valuing the one lost sheep at the same as the 99 that are safe and sound. Jesus goes on to say, not only would he go find it, but he'd throw a big party to celebrate the lost sheep that was found. Then he tells another parable. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and her neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. And the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angel when even one sinner repents. He says, what about a woman? Let's say she's a widow. Let's say all she has is 10 coins and she's counting them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Where's my 10th coin? Won't she sweep the house and go door to door knocking on her neighbor's houses? Has anybody seen my coin? The day she finally finds the coin, she holds it up. She's so excited. She goes back to her neighbors and says, come over to my house. I'm having a party. There's going to be food there. There's going to be festivities. We got to celebrate because the one lost coin that I found, it's been returned to me. And the original audience would have heard Jesus go, you know, why would somebody spend more money on a party than the actual value of the coin that was lost? Because that would have been understood in the first century when you had people over to your house. And so 
these two things that Jesus says, the lost sheep and the lost coin, there's this this, uh, immeasurable amount of excitement and joy when those lost things are returned. And then to illustrate the point further, it says in verse 11, that Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. The, 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 the notorious sinners and the Pharisees would have been like, this is, this is not a true story. There's no way a father would ever divide his estate, would ever break up his inheritance and give it to a younger son before he died. For a couple of reasons. One, because to do that would have been to write off. It would have been to say like, the son would be basically saying to the father, I wish you were dead now, so can I have my inheritance now? And then the older brother would have been like, hey, I get a double portion as the older brother. I'm entitled to two-thirds of the inheritance. So if you divide up your real estate and you start liquidating things right now, you're ripping me off. So this wouldn't be fair. The original audience that heard Jesus tell these stories would have said, this does not make sense. And yet Jesus is proving a very clear point about how God the Father feels about lost things being returned to him. The same way we value lost things on earth being returned to us is not the same way that a heavenly father values lost things being returned to him. It's so much greater. It's immeasurable. It's scandalous. It's illogical. It's just different. God's heart is bigger. I remember when I was four years old, um, I got lost. Um, I, 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 I lived in Texas as a, as a little boy before I moved here to Los Angeles about the age of four. And um, actually, no, I wasn't four. I was more like three. I think I was more like about three years old. And um, our house in Texas, because everything's bigger in Texas, was backed up against like a big forest. And there was, you know, mountains back there from what I remember at three years old. And there was a lake and there was, it was just like wilderness out there. And when I was three, I actually... I, I, I left home. I think I either ran away. I probably ran away. I was probably like, you know what? I'm three years old. I can do better than this. I'm out of here. And I left. <laughs> and I was out in the, 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 the countryside there. And I remember being lost. I remember the sun going down. I was out there for hours. I remember being scared. Um, I remember what I was wearing. I was wearing little three-year-old overalls. I was wearing Oshkosh Bagosh overalls at three years old. Uh, maybe you have a pair of Oshkosh Bagosh. They're like super hot right now. Uh, but <laughs> I say that because when you have a traumatic experience, you remember all sorts of things. You remember what you're wearing. I remember, um, I remember a search helicopter in the air looking for me. When I was finally returned to my parents, I remember the police being there, but I remember my dad. I remember my mom. I remember the look on their face when they swooped me up and the joy, the what it meant to them to have me come home. They just went from the worst moment of their life to the best moment of their life when they, when they saw me. I wonder how we feel as God's church about those that are lost coming home to a spiritual family and to a heavenly father. And I wonder if today you'd open your heart to what God would say about the biggest smile that you could ever put on his face, about how his heart is so big that he would say to you, Light Church, that there are people in San Diego, there's people in Encinitas, there's people around you that, that he's trying to bring home, that he's at work in their life. 
And I believe this message was written 2,000 years ago for Jesus' original audience, but it's, it was written for you today too. That we need to align our heart with God's heart as we think about what people really mean to God. So in this story Jesus tells, he, he talks about this punk younger son who uh, basically tells his dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance now? A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. I'll let your imagination run wild on that. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And everybody hearing Jesus say this story would have said, feed the pigs? Oh man, this guy really has lost it. Because you know, a Jewish audience, they ain't messing with pigs, right? Like, like this kid has traveled so far from his hometown that he's now out touching and feeding and interacting with pigs. He's not just left his hometown, but he's left his, his faith behind. It says here that, that the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, e even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Please take me on, not as a son, but as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. The kid is uh, covered in pig junk, nonsense, slop, and he's starving. And he's like, man, these pigs are eating better than me. And he begins to remember his father's house and what his dad is like and how his dad would treat his hired servants. And he's like, my dad's hired servants are treated better than this. Even they have better food on their tables. Maybe I can go home to my dad and convince him that I could just be a servant. I could just work off my debt. I could just live around him. I just want to be near the goodness that is his estate and his family. And so it says that this moment happened when he came to his senses. I mean, maybe you're watching this and you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever had that moment where you come to your senses? I had that moment. I was 20 years old and I had already made a lot of mistakes. I had uh, hurt people. I had hurt myself. That's what sin is, by the way. And I, 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 I thought my life was, was over. You know, at 20 years old, maybe you're a young adult and you're watching this, or maybe you have a kid who's 20 years old. At 20 years old, you haven't lived that much life, but you know, you still, you're in a season of life where you're like, I need to take responsibility and I'm no longer a kid. And I'd already made so many mistakes and I'd already done so much, so much darkness in my life that I realized that me being, you know, in charge and uh, acting like the boss or the king or the God of my own life was not good for anybody, especially for myself. I know that the girl that I had planned on marrying, uh, that girl, we had broken up and it had left me devastated. Maybe you're watching this and you've gone through a, a bad breakup. I know what it feels like to feel like you had planned something with somebody and then that all to fall apart. My best friend, you know, he had, he had overdosed on drugs and died. And we'd been best friends since I was 14 and we had an apartment together. And when he died, it was like, it was an unreal amount of grief to experience that. Um, uh, the job that I was working, the career that I had set out to do, that was all falling apart as well. And, 
And, and, and I remember just thinking, man, everything I planned for myself has fallen apart. And I'm only making things worse. And on top of all that, I had no peace. But yet I was raised in church, and so I knew of my father's house. You know, I knew of God's goodness. And I got down on my knees, and I said, God, I have, this is literally the prayer I prayed. I said, God, I have butchered the life that you gave me. Look at how much damage I've already done in 20 years. Imagine if I, did this, if I continued to do this. I said, if you will take me back, I will come home to you today. I literally prayed this. You can have my life. You can do whatever you want. I'll just serve you. Fully intending for God to make me a servant, not realizing that God wants more than servants. He wants sons. He wants daughters. And so I believe in that moment I was born again. And he stood me up from my knees where I was praying, and he gave me direction. He gave me guidance. He told me what, what next step to take. And I believe that whenever we come to God with a sincere heart like that, he reminds us of the things he's told us to do, or he leads us. He's a shepherd. We, 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 we hear his voice. He knows our name, and he will guide you if you're looking for direction today. And, uh, and then that, was the, that was the beginning of the rest of my life. And, and actually, it wasn't, it was maybe a couple months later that I was in Bible college, and uh, I met I met Benji there. We, we were freshmen together. And, uh, and Benji's uh, wife, Jen, and, and my wife, Maria, they, they were best friends as well. And, and uh, I have a great friend in Benji and Jen because of following Jesus. Don't you know that God doesn't just want you to serve him, but he wants to bring you into a family. And he wants to bring you into a place where you have a spiritual family around you. He wants you to have good brothers and sisters and friends and community and relationship. And I wonder if these are all the things that this young man was remembering in Jesus' story. He's like, he's, like, he's like, man, everything about my father's house. I, I need to get back to that. So, but he, he couldn't get over the shame. He couldn't get over like, the idea of having this talk with his dad and saying anything other than, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll just be your servant. So as he's practicing that speech and he's walking up the driveway to his house, after traveling back this great distance, Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I love that line. That's the best line in the whole story. The father was waiting on the porch. He was looking out down the driveway, and he's like, one of these days, my lost son is going to come home. Don't you know that God's eyes are waiting? They're focused. They're out there on all the kids that he feel are lost are lost. And he's saying, I want them to come home. His eyes are not just on you, but he, his eyes are on your co-workers and your family and your friends and the people that he's put you in their life to share the good news with. And he's, it says in Romans 8, interceding for them. He's praying for them and he's wanting them to come home. And it says that as he, as, as the son was still a long way off, he saw him. And you know what he did? It says he ran to him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could say, just make me a servant, it says the, the father just cuts him off. And he turns to his servant who's there and he says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Go kill the calf we've been fattening. Kill the fatty calf. You know what time it is. When you kill the fatty calf, that means everybody in the city's coming out. The biggest party, the neighborhood block party is happening. 
kill the fatty calf, he says. We're going to have a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's been returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Three things happen here that I want to focus on as we talk about being a prodigal church. Number one, it says that he said, go get the finest robe. Who's got the finest robe in the house? The owner of the estate, right? The father. So he tells the hired servant, go to my wardrobe and get the finest robe, my robe. And before he even makes it up the driveway, gets back to the family, before any of the neighbors see, put that robe on him because I want to cover him. I, he, he's so dirty and nasty right now with all this experience that he's had, all the shame that's on him. I want him to be covered so that everybody sees him the way that I see him. I don't see his past. I don't see his mistakes. I don't see, I don't see all, those, all that sin. You know what I see? I see my son. And I want everybody to see my son when they look at him. So, bro, go get a robe and put it around him. You know, it says in Galatians chapter 3, something so powerful. And you know Jesus would have known this about himself because he knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the Savior. He knew he was the, the sacrifice for our sins that provides a covering for us before God. He says this in Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He says this, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and now you belong to Christ. You are two true children of Abraham. He's saying this. He's saying when you come to God, you're not just saved, and you're not just forgiven, and you're not just given a fresh start, but God actually looks at you completely different. You are now a new creation in Christ. You have Christ wrapped around you like you're wearing him as clothes. So when God sees you, he sees you through Jesus. It says that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us and through us. We are a new creation. Isaiah 61.10 says that God clothes us in a robe of righteousness and in the garment of salvation. That's Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees you through the blood of Jesus. He sees you as a son or daughter. And I just wonder if there's anybody watching right now who you're still hung up on all those things you used to do. You're still hung up on that old person that you used to be and all the perverted stuff you did and all the harmful things you did and all the gross stuff you did and all those things that, 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 that if you let the enemy give you a guilt trip would push you away from God. But don't you know God doesn't want to give you a guilt trip? God wouldn't want to do anything to push you away. Guilt trips don't come from God. God doesn't give guilt trips. He's done everything he can to pull you in. God doesn't give guilt trips. He gives grace trips. He does what he can to meet you where you are and bring you to himself. He says, I love you so much. I love you just the way you are. I'm going to meet you where you are. But at the same time, I love you too much to let you stay that way. So before you get the driveway to the house, we got to make sure that you are covered. And that is the person and the work of Jesus that does that. You can't, you can't clean yourself up on your own. Don't even try. Come to God and let him provide a way home for you. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. New life is available for you. It starts with being forgiven of all that you've done because of Jesus, but also becoming a new creation now, so you are in Christ and he is in you. So the robe of righteousness that's provided, that's the Son of God. The second thing that Jesus tells in this story is he talks about a 
pinky ring. I don't know if it's a pinky ring, but I call it a pinky ring. He says, back in 2000, he says, back in the early 2000s, Ludacris gave me a ring, a pinky ring. Uh, uh, Usher got one too. He bring that down from my wardrobe because you know that ring. That's the ring that has my family name on it. It's a signet ring. And it's what we dip in wax and what we seal documents with. And anybody who has one of those rings on, that testifies that they are in authority around here at this house. The scripture says in Romans 8 that you are not just a son of God now, but you are an heir in his kingdom, meaning that you are a son who is in authority. You are a daughter that's in authority. These servants that were walking around, they need to know that he wasn't just being restored into the family as a son, but he was back in his original position as being a heir to what the family had, the authority, the, 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 the territory, the, 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 the name that they carried. The third thing that we see that was given to the son was sandals. And that may not seem like a big deal, but you got to understand that not everybody was wearing sandals. The hired servants that ran up to the closet to get the, the sandals, they weren't wearing sandals because people that worked for the household, they were working off a of debt, they were indentured servants, and they would have had bare feet. They would have been running around barefoot because that's how servants walked. And you could look at their feet and tell that they were still in debt. But when he put those sandals on his boy, you know what he was saying? He was saying, my son is no longer in debt. There's no debt that is to be paid. The, the, the debt has been, has been canceled. It's taken care of. Check out the robe. Check out the ring. Check out the sandals. This is my son. He's my son. He's always been my son. He's never stopped being my son. And I want everybody in the city who's eating the fatty calf to know this is my boy and he's back. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. He may have been in the world, but now he's in my family. I say that because maybe you're watching this and you feel like you're too dirty, you're too far gone, you've done too much. And maybe you're hanging around Light Church just trying to be around the goodness of God and the goodness of people. But don't you know God has a great plan and a purpose for your life? And I say that with confidence, knowing that he loves you. Ephesians chapter 3.20 says that God has immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine in store for you. But if you don't realize that you're covered by Jesus, if you don't realize that you're in authority now as his son or as his daughter, if you don't realize that you don't have a debt to pay off anymore that's been paid for you, you will miss what it means to live in his family. You know, the, the, the parables that I told before this about the, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin the reason why that sets this whole thing up is because in those parables, somebody went and found the sheep. The shepherd left and went and found the sheep. And the coin, somebody hunted down the coin and found the coin. It was the, 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 the widow. And then in this last story, because he told it three ways like this, the, the, the people who were listening to Jesus would have said, okay, the son is lost. Who's going to go find the lost son. The problem of the story is in the first sentence. Once upon a time, there's a dad who has two sons. One of the sons is lost. And immediately, the people hearing the story who were Jewish, they would have said, well, we know because of Cain and Abel, we know because of the scriptures, that an older brother takes responsibility for a younger brother. We know that when we say an older brother, we say, yes, he is my brother's keeper, right? So we know that, that, that that's how family is supposed to work. So as they're telling the story and the son is getting more and more lost, they would have said, hey, 
where's the older brother in the story? You told us there was two brothers. How come the older brother hasn't gone after the younger brother? And in the 21st century, and in a Western context, we may miss something like that. But I'm here to tell you that in the family of God, there are younger brothers and there are older brothers. And the older brothers or older sisters have a responsibility for the younger ones in the family. And that's why Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees. He wants them to know as an older brother in the faith, as somebody who knows the word of God, who's somebody who's, who's righteousness, you got to know the people who are lost, it's your responsibility to look after them. You can't just ignore them. And that's why there's such great re rejoicing and celebration in heaven when the lost come home. It says here that uh, the older brother gets the news. It says, meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he was asked of the servants, what's going on here? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. And we're celebrating because of his return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, pops. Never once did you do, I, I, did, a single, I did every single thing you ever told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young, never even gave me a young goat to feed my friends. You never even gave me a taco Tuesday for my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, he calls him your son. He doesn't even call him his brother because he's dead to him. He says, when your son takes your money and my money, by the way, and goes out and starts squandering it, prodigal, just wasting it on, on, on wild living on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? The father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And the story ends there. We don't know what happens. It's so frustrating. Jesus doesn't, doesn't say that the, the older brother returns to the party. He doesn't say that, the, that there's a reunion, but he leaves you with this picture of a father who's waiting for the young one to come home and he runs out and he gets him and he brings him in. But the, then he has to run outside and get the older brother and try to bring him in. Because to a father, he wants everybody celebrating together. But remember, Jesus was aiming this story at people who were both lost, notorious sinners, but also those that considered themselves found. He was aiming the story at younger brothers and older brothers. So I guess I got to ask you, are you the younger brother in the story? Or are you the older brother in the story? Because if you're the younger brother in the story or younger sister in the story, what's stopping you from coming home to God? What's stopping you? Because as you can see in Jesus' own words, there's a father who's done everything that needs to be done for you to come home to him. And once you're home, he wants to restore you to the way he's always intended you to live. There's a great purpose that's attached to his plan. And you belong to that purpose. And this purpose is made for you. And it's all in the spiritual family of God. You're not going to find it out there in the world. You're not going to, you can't go find yourself, okay? That's, that's baloney, okay? You got to find the one who made you, your creator, the one who created you. And you got to surrender to him. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. I'll say it this way. Nobody else is going to come find you. If you feel lost, nobody else is going to come find you, okay? Jesus is the older brother in the story. He's the firstborn. He's the Son of God who comes and finds you where you are and brings you home to the Father. It's because of everything that He's done that you can have access, you can have relationship with a holy God who loves you so, so much 
Or maybe you're the older brother in the story and you need to be reminded to keep your eyes on the end of the driveway, to go out there and find some of those people. Maybe, you know, before the pandemic, maybe there was people who were a part of Light Church and then the pandemic hit and maybe, they're, maybe you haven't seen them as much. Man, shoot them a text. Shoot, copy this URL of this message and send it to them. Let them know that, God's, that God still loves them and you still love them and you want them back in the family. Or maybe there's somebody you've got to share the gospel with. But do it. Let them know that there's a God who loves them and nothing, could, nothing is more powerful than the cross. Nothing, nothing could get in the way of God's love. You know, I told the story earlier about when, when, my, when I was lost at three years old out in the wilderness. And I'll just end with this. I remember being out there. I remember the sun going down and I remember the helicopter searching for me. And I remember being alone and scared. I remember my Oshkosh Bagosh overalls. But I also remember, it's kind of embarrassing, but I remember peeing my pants. I wet my pants, I was so scared. And I was three, and I'm covered, and I've soiled myself, you know, and it was a traumatic experience. And I thought I was lost for good. I remember this. But then I heard the sound, the most glorious sound I've ever heard, out in the distance at first, wah, 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 wah. And it was my older brother on his dirt bike, wah, 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 just going over the hills, searching for me all in that forest area. And when I saw him pull up on his yellow 1982 Yamaha dirt bike, I, it was the greatest moment. He pulled right up, and I remember this, he tried to grab me and put me on the motorcycle with him, but I'm like, bro, 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 I've wet my pants. Like, I remember being three years old and thinking, I don't want to get my pee on my older brother. You know how you look up to your older brother, and I remember that. And he's like, come on, bro. And he grabbed me by the little straps on my overalls, and he put me right down in front of him, and he put his arms around me, and he drove me home on his dirt bike. He brought me right into the arms of my father and my mother. And my relationship with my brother has never been the same because once upon a time I was lost, but then I was found by him and he brought me home to my dad. And my prayer for you, Light Church, is whether you find yourself listening to this message and you're a younger brother or you're an older brother, I pray that you'd see that you are positioned in the family of God no matter what. And there's a responsibility on you to be a son, but also to be a brother, to be a daughter but also to be a sister. Maybe this would be a good time for you to pray today and ask yourself if there's anybody that is on God's heart. The happiest day of the father's life in Jesus' story was the day that his son came home. And when his brother was out working, doing his own thing, he wasn't out looking for the lost brother. And that's really where his father's heart was, looking down the driveway, thinking about those that, thinking about his son who was far from him. And so maybe today we line our heart with, with our Heavenly Father. And we say, God, is there anybody on your mind right now? Is there anybody where your Holy Spirit's working in their life? And it's my job to call them, to text them, to reach out to them, to get lunch with them, to get coffee with them, to just remind them that you still love them. Can I pray for you? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Lord, thank you so much for Light Church. I love them. They're just the greatest. But I wonder if maybe there's somebody watching right now who's never made the decision to give their life to Jesus. 
And if that's you and, and, and you're ready to believe that Jesus is the Savior who came into the world to save you from yourself and from your sin, uh, what's stopping you from saying yes to his love today? If you believe Jesus is God, he died for you and he rose for you, then let's begin a new life with him together. It's as simple as saying, I believe. And I want you to type in the comment section. I know it sounds crazy, but I want you to type, if you have the courage, I believe. And by doing so, you're saying, I want to come home to God. That confession of your faith that says in Romans 10 is when you confess with your heart and you confess with your mouth, what you're saying is you're saying, I'm ready to come home. And if that's you and you're ready to come home, type I believe in the chat. And if you're, if you're an older brother, maybe you should send this message to somebody or at least give them a call. But make sure to pray and ask the Lord if he's directing you to do something like that. Because I believe that God's heart, his attention and his mind and his focus is on more than just your church, more than just my church, but on a world that's hurting and needs him. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.